For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this story and the question of the disciples, who then is this? Who then is this who can calm the storms uh, both outside of us and inside of us? And Lord, we are here in your presence to learn more about you who are the one who can bring that calm and that peace. And as we open your word tonight and consider the question of talent, um, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us and our ears to hear what you have for us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening and uh, once again, happy Father's Day to everyone. It's a special Father's Day for me because my dad is here, which is fun. And it's also my older daughter's eighth birthday on today, Father's Day. And she told me that her birthday trumps Father's Day because I wouldn't be a father if it weren't for her. And I checked myself. I almost said, you know, you might want to check your math on that one. It's a real chicken and egg situation. I wouldn't be a father if it weren't for her, but kind of the other way around too. Um, so I hope everybody had a great day today beautiful day today. We've been talking over the last few weeks about uh, time, talent, and treasure. And this week we're going to talk about talent. And we're talking about these things in the context of June being the end of our fiscal year. And it's a time that we like to set aside at St. Bart's to talk about vision and values, who God has called us to be, and where he's taking us. And I had the pleasure tonight of talking about talent. Time, talent, treasure. Over the last few weeks we talked about what God asks of us in terms of our time, what he asks of us in terms of our treasure. And the question before us tonight is, first of all, what is talent? And then what does God ask us in relationship to our talent? And just to give us sort of a definition to think about as we uh, start, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna operate under the assumption that talent is the unique way that God has made each of us. The fearful and wonderful way that he has made us uniquely as individuals. And that has to do with our natural talents, our natural skills, our natural gifts, but it also has to do for those of us who are in Christ with our spiritual gifts, which is what Paul is talking about a lot in this passage, spiritual gifts. But often those things are actually hard to distinguish because God in his goodness has made us each in unique ways. And there's all sorts of ways um, that we bless him and bless each other. 
And that's all well and good. <laughs> and I think we're gonna get to that, but I think we have to do some work before we talk about our talents and how God asks them. Because that definition of talent, the unique way that God has made each of us, the fearful and wonderful way that he's made each of us rests on a deeper spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is this, is that all that we have and all that we are is from God, and all that we have and all that we are is for God. All that we have is from God, and all that we have is for God. So another way to come at that idea is to ask this question, what does God want from me? What does he want from you? What does he want for us as a community? And before I give you my answer, which is an answer, I want you to think about how you might answer that question. What does God want from you? You may initially have an answer that you might not want to say out loud. <laughs> I don't know. Or he wants too much. Or I wish I knew. What does God want? The simple answer is that God wants everything. <laughs> he wants everything. He wants all of our time, yes. He wants our treasure, yes. He wants our talent, yes. But those things are just symbols because they represent ourselves. That when we give our time to the Lord and to each other, and when we give our treasure to the Lord and to each other, and when we give our talent to the Lord and each other, there's a way that we can do that, that we're actually disconnected from the activity. That it's actually a way for God not to get all of us. <laughs> See, I gave you my time. I gave you some of my treasure. I gave you some of my talent. So I'm going to keep the rest. But God wants everything. God wants everything. What a crazy demand. God wants everything. But in the two verses that come before our passage from Romans tonight, Paul gives us the logic or the reason for why it is the case that God demands everything. In the famous verses of Romans 12, 1 and 2, he tells us that if we can think along these lines, that it truly is our reasonable act of worship to give ourselves to God I'm gonna give you a paraphrase that I came across this week of Romans 12, one and two, because I know these are very familiar verses, so maybe we can hear them in a little bit different way. Romans 12, one and two, paraphrase. In the view of the mercies of God, present your bodies to him. Present them as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, not a lifeless one, a holy one, one in which he will take pleasure. For when you consider your indebtedness to God, the consecration of your lives to his service is your logical act of worship. If you consider your indebtedness to God, if you view your life in view of his mercies, as Paul exhorts us to do, then the consecration of our lives to him is our logical act of worship. Or as translations often have it, our reasonable act of worship. Basically, if you do the spiritual math, this is the conclusion that you would come to. And the first 11 chapters of Romans are Paul's exhortation or his exposition of the, of the glory and the power of the gospel that saves. That the gospel is powerful to save, that Christ has come and that he has saved us. And if we believe that, if we live in light of that, then offering our lives up to God as a living sacrifice, a holy one, a living one, and one which God takes pleasure is our reasonable act of worship. It is the logical conclusion that we would draw. So the offering of our lives of everything that we are lifted up to God in praise and thanksgiving. That's our spiritual act of worship. And our time, our talent and treasure is just a shorthand way of talking about that. 
of us lifting everything that we are and everything that we are have back up to God, knowing that it's from him and knowing that it's for him and that there's this circle of reciprocity that exists, which is the Christian life, that God is forever and always pouring out his love on us and he is asking us to then lift it back up to him in thanksgiving. And he asks us to do that individually, but he asks us to do that as a community. And that's what it is to worship together. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And this too, this idea of offering up our lives as praise and thanksgiving to him, maybe that has an echo in your ear of what we pray every week at the communion table, that the Eucharist is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. And so what I want you to think of when we think about this is that this is what it means for us to be a kingdom of priests. So Dave and I are priests in a formal sense, set aside to be a symbol before you of what we're all called to do, which is to take everything that we have and to lift it up to God in praise and thanksgiving, asking him to take it, break it, bless it, and give it. That we would be the body of Christ, broken for the world, taken, blessed, broken, and given as a blessing to all. So what this passage teaches us is that we are living sacrifices within the context of the body, in the context of the world. And the arena of our acceptable and reasonable worship is with each other and for each other, as well as with and for God. So when we express our gifts, our natural gifts, our spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, when we exercise them in proportion to our faith, which is a very important phrase for Paul in this passage, they become a means by which the body grows. So the means that Jesus has given us to grow up into him is each other. And he's given us his spirit in particular gifts that you have, that I don't have, that us together make a wholeness. He's given us each other to build us up into his fullness. That's God's plan. And there's not another plan. (laughs) That's the reality of being the body of Christ. And what Paul is telling us is that when we consider the mercies of God, what he's done to make us his own, we must conclude that we belong mind, body, and soul to him. And this should not surprise us because that is the first and greatest commandment, is that we would love the Lord our God, what? Just a little bit? (laughs) No, with all our minds, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our will, with everything that we are and everything that we have, we're called to love God in that way. So in light of these mercies, Paul says, by the grace given to me, Paul says, and Paul is saying that God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace and a kingdom of gift, and therefore is a kingdom of reciprocity, the inflowing and outflowing of gift all the time, so that the economy of grace is an economy of reciprocity. God gives to me, I lift it back up to him. He gives to me, I lift it back up to him. We give to each other, we build each other up in love, and we offer it together as a community as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to him. By the grace given to me, Paul says in verse three, these, this grace is the gift of God to us and his son. It's the grace of salvation. It's the grace of knowing him. It's the grace of seeing him in the context of community. In verse five, we learn that it's the gift of ourselves to God as members of Christ, and also that we are members of one, one another, that it's the gifts of ourselves to each other. And we know that in relationship, that when we think about time, talent, and treasure, those things are fundamental to any deep relationship. In a marriage relationship, in a close relationship, we have to give each other to ourselves in that way. But again, there's a way in which we can do that and remove ourselves from it. 
and we're not really wholeheartedly giving ourselves to the other. So that's why I'm majoring on this question. What does God want? Well, he wants everything. And the reason that he wants everything is because it's for our good. That's what he created us for. But there's a recognition, and I recognize this in myself as well, that there's all sorts of barriers to living this way. And I want to talk about two tonight. Two primary barriers to living in this way. Living in a wholehearted way where we give everything to God. And live for the good of his kingdom and for the good of each other. And the recognition that all that we have is from God. And the recognition that all we have is for God. And the first barrier to living that way is that we do not trust the giver himself. That we do not trust the character of God. If God is this gracious and this kind, if there's some sort of disconnect, it's often that we actually don't believe that he's that gracious and that kind. A couple weekends ago, um, I went on a, a prayer retreat up at Lake Louisville at Montserrat, which is a Jesuit prayer retreat center. I was walked through a series of spiritual exercises taken from the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. More about him later. One of the exercises was praying through my false views of God. Pray through your false views of God. And it had some starter ideas of where you could start. And I wonder if any of these resonate with you in the way that they, might, that they resonated with me. And this prayer exercise had five primary false images of God. And before I list them, it's so important that we come to terms with this because I think sometimes, you know, we think about well, idolatry is wrong. I shouldn't worship something besides God. But if we have a false view of who God is, that is a kind of idolatry. If he is not who he truly is to us, if we're not sort of stripping those things away too, that's a kind of idolatry as well. We're missing the fullness of the character of God. So these are the false views that were on this prayer exercise. First was God the manipulator. <laughs> that God is not a good father. He's actually just a manipulator. That I'm a puppet in a cosmic puppet show and I don't really have anything to do or say. Or it's all just a farce. And God's gonna do what he wants and I don't have a relationship with him. God the manipulator. The second is that, that God is just distant. He's real, but he has no real interest in me or my life. The third is God is an ATM. God exists to meet my needs, period. So he's following along or maybe behind me, and when I need something, he better show up. Money, please, God. Number four, God as taskmaster. God is only interested in what I can do for him. This is why I wanted to spend time on this when we talked about talent. Time, talent, treasure. We're asking for these things. And if you have in the back of your mind, well, that's all God's interested in anyway. It's just my stuff, my time, my talent, my treasure. He's actually not interested in my heart. He just wants things from me. He just, he just wants to take what he can give. He's just demanding, and he's just simply waiting for me to mess up. So he's going to take, 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 and then when I mess up, it's over. God is taskmaster. The, four, the fifth is probably the one that we most contend with, is that God is simply a critical parent, that he, his love is actually conditional, and that he can say it's unconditional all he wants, but it's actually conditional and that I'm the exception to the rule of grace. 
At bottom, all of these false images of God do not accept that God is a good father, who as James says in his letter, the one from whom every good and perfect gift comes. These false views of God refuse to accept that if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. See, some of this comes from this idea that Jesus and the Father are not on the same page. And I like Jesus, but I don't know about the Father. (laughs) But if we've seen Jesus, Jesus tells us we've seen the heart of the Father, that he is the one who gives his life for the good of the world. I prayed through this stuff and it was hard because I saw that, you know, I like to study theology, I like to think I have a good view of God, all of that stuff, but this stuff is humming in the background. <laughs> you know, these visions and false views of God, it's, in, it's a bug in the operating system somewhere. And, you, and it's a, the work of a lifetime, I would say, to get honest about these things. And different times and seasons, it might be a different false view of God. And this is not a comprehensive list. This is just a representative list of ways that we view God that have to be dismantled because it's, that's not the God of scripture. That's not the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we gather to worship. So until we can come to terms with the fact that God is actually good and that he actually gives us good gifts and that those gifts are for the good of each other, each other and for our own good, that we might become truly who we are, then we're always going to have a little bit of a doubt that God really loves us, that he really cares. This barrier that we do not trust the giver in some means that we do not trust his gifts. We will view his gifts as a Trojan horse. Here's a gift. Actually, it's going to kill you. Here's a gift. It's a Pandora's box. Let's see what happens when you open the box. Everything goes crazy. It's just chaos. There is a fear in accepting the gifts of God if we do not trust that God is good, that we will lose control, that we will disappear because he just wants to swallow us up. He's not interested in who I really am. He's not the one who fearfully and wonderfully made me and orchestrated the circumstances of my life. So that's the first barrier. And... Like I said, it's the work of, I think, the Christian life in a lifetime to get honest about those things, to pray through those things. And if one of those resonated with you, in particular, God as manipulator, distant God, God as ATM, God as taskmaster, God as critical parent, let's talk. We can talk about ways to pray through that, to experience healing from those things. Um, Yeah, let's have a conversation. I'd love to do that. The second barrier is that we do not believe that we have gifts And more specifically, we do not believe that we are a gift. (laughs) That I myself am a gift because I'm part of God's creation. That's a, it's a really hard one, especially if you grew up in certain kinds of circles. So let me just spend a little bit of time on this one. The second barrier in, in, in not believing that we are really gifts or that we have gifts. So we do not see ourselves as a gift and therefore have not received ourselves as a gift from God. We have instead embraced what I would call a spirituality of shame. And that spirituality of shame is an extension of a false view of God. If God is just manipulator or taskmaster in the background, then I'm doing what I'm doing out of a motivation not to upset him, which is very different than doing what I do for God because I love him and because I know that he loves me and because it's a mutual relationship of reciprocity. So Paul in this passage says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. A spirituality of shame has a totally different framework. The spirituality of shame 
would not be able to say this. A spirituality of shame would, fueled by its false view of God, say, I don't love the good, I just fear the bad. <laughs> I don't want something bad to happen to me. So I'm going through the motions and trying not to tick off the manipulator or taskmaster God, instead of believing, no, he is a good father who gives good gifts to his children as a blessing to themselves and a blessing to his people. But we are gifts of God. We are part of his good creation. And I imagine that some of you, maybe more theologically minded people say that I'm brushing something very important away. Well, what about sin? What about human brokenness? What about frailty? All of that is real. Make no mistake. We worship in the shadow of the cross as a reminder what sin cost God to deal with. That's what it cost God to wipe away our sin. Sin is real. So whenever we want to brush sin away, we simply need to look at the cross and remind ourselves that it cost the very life of the Son of God. But it is also true that this world was created and called good and that men and women created in the image of God were the height of that creation and given stewardship over that creation. And that it is also true that this world is a world where incarnation is possible, that God made a world where it was possible for him to take on flesh and enter into it and dwell among us and show us himself. This is a world where incarnation is possible he dwelt among us as part of his good creation and yet remained God. He was not diminished in any way in his divinity. He, Jesus, was the fullness of God in bodily form. He affected our redemption from within creation. That means this creation is something that matters to him. And by extension, we are something that deeply matters to him. So, Make no mistake, the breaking of the relationship between God and humanity is real. Sin is a reality and the fall was fatal. And redemption indeed shows us what our restoration costs, the, co the cross. It costs the very life of the word of God, the word made flesh. But when we look at the cross, we also have to remember that God has dealt with sin in a definitive way. He has dealt with that in a definitive way. The cross therefore deals with our shame just as much as it deals with our guilt. So, it is certainly true that all of us fall short of the glory of God, but it is also certainly true that God has closed that distance. He's filled the gap. We fell short, he filled the gap. Paul says in second letter of the Corinthians, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange that we receive by faith. And when we receive that by faith, as Dave said earlier, when he prayed that declaration of our forgiveness over us, that as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sin from us. So he takes it seriously and he wipes it away. And that means that we can then be who we are, which is new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. I've taken out your heart of stone. I've given you a heart of flesh. I've saved you. So what I would say is that the cross is the answer to both our false view of God and the false view of ourselves. That if we 
are miring in a spirituality of shame that's connected to a false view of God, but the cross is God's definitive answer of his love for the world. The prayer for mission in morning prayer that's part of our value of hospitality is Lord Jesus Christ, you spread out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. The cross is the answer to both those objections, both those barriers where we do not live full-heartedly, full, fully as sacrifices to God. So now to the passage. That's all the theology in the background. <laughs> it's important though. Paul's point in these verses is that we belong to each other because we belong to God. And we're members of one body and that our gifts are not just for ourselves, they're for each other. Our gifts are not for ourselves, but for each other. And God gives us each gifts in proportion to his grace and to our faith. As he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. They're meant to be used. So when he lists these different gifts, prophecy, teaching, hospitality, mercy, leadership, that list is not comprehensive, it's, it's representative. And maybe you find yourself in there, maybe you don't find yourself in there. If you don't find yourself in there, that's okay. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I also wanna talk about not just the gifts of individuals, but the charism of a community. This is the way that our Catholic brothers and sisters are better at talking about than maybe we are, but I think it's true, which is different communities have a gift as well. That in the exercise of their community, they express something of the character of God. And when we talk about our values, we're trying to get at what our charism is. Meaning, what is St. Bart's? Who are we? Well, we're a community that wants to behold God and to become more like him. We're a community that values authenticity, hospitality, mystery, wholeness and healing, and rootedness. Those things together, I think, are our way of sort of like pointing into the fog, trying to figure out who God has called us to be and where he's taking us. That, that charism of hospitality, I think, is so important to our community. There's an aspirational dimension to it. We're not as hospitable as we could be, but we are a place of hospitality. And I encourage you, if, if you haven't ever heard these values, there's a page on our website, go read them. Every one of them starts with God. That's the ultimate value. <laughs> so when we say that we're a community of authenticity, that's on the basis of that prayer that we pray every week, which is the Colic for Purity which is we come into the presence of God and there's no secrets already. Right? We're not playing a game with God and yet he still invites us into his presence. There's, an, uh, there's a level of authenticity. There is a realism to the gospel. You hear it in those verses that we pray before we confess our sins. If we say we have no sin, we're deluded. <laughs> but if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That is the basis of authenticity. Hospitality, I just shared that prayer that Lord Jesus Christ, your arms are stretched out on the hardware of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. That is hospitality, that, that we are welcomed in Christ, that God is hospitable first. The mystery speaks to the character and nature of God as the one who is always greater, always deeper. We will never fathom the depths of who he is, but we will enjoy in eternity, come to know him more and more and more, and yet there will always be more. 
We will never fathom the depths of the incarnation. We will never fathom the depths of the Trinity. And yet they give us life and joy. They make our community possible. Wholeness and healing, we want to be a community that has the charism where mind, body, and soul, people can come. And if they've got a false vision of God, that that can be torn down. If they haven't received the gift in themselves, that that can be healed. Physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, psychological healing, wholeness the full person who was made for the glory of God to behold him and to become more like him. And rootedness, we are in East Dallas for East Dallas, period. This is where we wanna be, this is where we wanna stay, and this is the community that we wanna bless, rootedness. So I go over the values to give us a sense of who we are called together to be, that when we use our talents individually, it's towards that and Jesus building up his body here, this local expression of his universal body. So whatever our gift is, let us use it in proportion to our faith. Okay, that all sounds great, you might say, but what if you have no idea (laughs) what that gift is or how uh, to identify it or how to use it or all that sort of thing? Well, let me say this, that Dave and I, as clergy, that part of our job is spiritual direction. Part of our job is to help you discern that. The way that Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians is that it's our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So if there are barriers to that work, there's spiritual direction, there's prayer that needs to happen, there's healing that needs to happen. We want to walk you through that. That would be our joy, right, Dave? That'd be our joy to walk people through that? Yes. So I take it to mean that part of my job is to help you confront those barriers and to help you exercise your gifts to build up the body of Christ and to walk in the fullness of what God has and that that being a living sacrifice is a joyful and ultimately free way to live. I mentioned this prayer retreat that I went on. It was based in the, as I said, the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola He's a Catholic saint, but his story is fascinating and and worth examining um, how he came to found the Order of the Jesuits, the Society of Jesus, that have radically shaped the world, have educated many, many, many people all over the world, have done incredible things, and every person who is part of the Society of Jesus has gone through these spiritual exercises. And in one spiritual exercise, he has this prayer. And what I'd like to do tonight, so I'm going to read this prayer. I'm going to pray it over you. And then I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you feel comfortable, I want you to say the prayer. So I'm going to give you a preview, right? I'm not going to make you say something that you haven't seen yet. Um, But it's a prayer that is in line with this view of talent that we are given what we are given to lift back up to God in a community of reciprocity. That whatever God gives us, we lift it back up to him as a praise of sacrifice and thanksgiving. So that includes our natural talents, that includes our spiritual gifts, that includes our resources, that includes our time. And this prayer gets to the heart of it. And it's not something that you pray once, it's something that you pray into. So we'll, we'll post this on social media as well. And I'd encourage you throughout the week, meditate on this as a way to recall, what are my barriers? Do I have one of those false views of God? 
Is he a critical parent to me? Is he distant? Is he an ATM? Is he something else? And am I mired in a spirituality of shame? Am I living in light of fear and not in light of love? And I invite you to meditate on those things this week. So would you please stand? I'm gonna pray this prayer. It's a prayer from Ignatius of Loyola. It's got some these and thous, but I think you can take it. We're Anglicans, so we've heard them before. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and all that I possess. Thou hast given all to me. To thee, O Lord, I return it. All is thine. Dispose of it wholly according to thy will. Give me thy love and thy grace, for this is sufficient for me. So I'm gonna pray it slowly, and if you want to, you can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the silence of your heart, or you can say, no thanks, that's fine too. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. Thou hast given all to me, To thee, O Lord, I return it. All is thine. Dispose of it wholly according to thy will. Give me thy love and thy grace. For this is sufficient for me. Holy Father, we know that in our humanity and in our limitations just as humans, but also in the ways that we can get entangled in sin that we don't view you as you are sometimes. And I pray, Lord, that in your grace, you would help us dismantle our false views of you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in the power of the cross and the power of your Holy Spirit to put to death spiritualities of shame And I pray, Lord, that we would not just be a community that say we aspire to certain things, but we would be a community that is marked by authenticity, hospitality, wholeness, healing, rootedness, all saturated in the mystery and the power of life in you. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us and among us. I thank you for the unique gift that this community is and the unique gift of each individual who's here who is fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. Let us be known as that kind of community, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.